Welcome to the James Quandall Show, the space where I interview the world's experts and share how you can live your life to the fullest, be present and connect deeply with others, and build the life of your dreams. On today's episode, I had a chance to chat with Dr. Mark Harper, the author of the brand new book, Chill, The Cold Water Swim Cure. Mark Harper is a consultant anesthetist at Sussex University Hospitals, both in the UK and Norway. He's the co-creator of Chill UK, a nonprofit whose aim is to provide courses in cold water swimming in order to improve mental health. Mark and I discussed the countless physical and mental benefits of getting exposed to cold water, how you can create a cold water swimming plan, and if it's better to get into 68-degree water or 55-degree water. Mark taught me how to control my breath before getting into the water and also the signs to pay attention to in order to be aware that it's time to get out of the water. We also considered how to make cold water swimming or dipping fun by finding a community of like-minded people and sharing in the adventure together. We covered all of this and much, much more. So please enjoy our conversation. Okay, so my I mentioned that I had a cold story and was just actually in Norway in April. And it was my first time to Europe, first time to Norway. And I had heard in a, in a fringe health book that if you expose yourself to cold after traveling, it can really help you with the effects of jet lag. And I was like, oh man, okay, I'm traveling six time zones away from my hometown and I wanna make sure I acclimate as fast as possible. So day one, we were staying on a small lake outside the city of Bergen. And when you were standing at the bank of the lake, you could see these mountains and you could see the white top, tippy tops of the mountains. And you could actually see a, a small stream coming down the side, going right into the lake that I was standing at. And I said, I'm day one, I'm getting in that lake. I'm gonna get fully exposed to this cold. And I did it. And my wife actually, I didn't know she was recording, but she recorded a video of me, of me doing that. And um, we put it on my Instagram. Um, so I'll link to that in the show notes for this episode. But I'll tell you, I felt like a million dollars after that. I felt so good. First of all, I did something that I felt was sort of difficult that would have been easy to be like, eh, I'll just stay inside this warm cabin with heated floors and I, I did it and so uh i really think like we had a, i we already i'm pretty sure we already had this interview planned and so i've been looking for more opportunities to expose myself to cold water so that way i'd really know what it was you were talking about in the book <laughs> brilliant so so where, where whereabouts was that what which village was it in it was in haukland haukland yeah okay yeah because yeah. no, uh my in-laws or uh grandparents come from uh Vos which is just between Bergen very close to there yeah we actually we took the um the Flambana and so we had to go through Vos and um and and so I, I did see that city as well and everywhere you look in Norway it's a it's a cold swimming paradise it's everywhere on top of every mountain around every corner there's a stream you really can't get away from it. It's always calling to you. Yeah, without a doubt, it's fantastic for that. And you've got the the fresh water that really freezes over in the winter, and it's it's difficult to use. But in the summer, it's just fabulous. I've got a spot on my way to work, where I work in Norway, which is which is a lake, 
and you know it's five minutes from work you know 15 kilometers from home so yeah it's a it's a, a bit of a trick on my bike but i get there go for a swim and i'm set up for the day it's like you it just just transform transformative and it, it really wakes you up and even after doing it for nearly 20 years i still get that i feel like a million dollars feeling from it i mean did, did it help with the jet lag it's not something i've heard of before but it makes sense to me absolutely i mean it errat it I was sort of feeling fuzzy still. It was day one of our trip. It took us 33 and a half hours to get there, but that's another story for another day. It should have been 18, but travel's a little wonky right now. And I was so tired. We got, we got in at 1 a.m. and we set an alarm to wake up at normal Norwegian morning. And so we just, I got up and got in the water and, and it, woke me up as you know it it will it will almost shock you awake but then the f effects reverberated through the entire trip and i would say the most amazing thing is cold air doesn't really feel that cold when you can handle cold water and so you're walking around hiking normally you'd be shivering you'd be cold and you'd be like oh you're complaining and you're like no i just jumped in that lake like taking this hike is easy <laughs> Yeah, and, and this is this is one of the interesting things about it, and why water is so effective is because it holds so much heat. So you can take can take heat straight from you. If you look at it, it's got high thermal capacity. It's very conductive, so it moves stuff away from you quickly. And if you take all these kind of factors into account, there's a figure which says it's two thousand three hundred and twenty six times colder than air. So it's yeah, you know, it's a really effective medium, and that's why you go in the sauna and it's what 120 degrees or uh, Fahrenheit centigrade, and yeah, it's hot, but it's all right. But yeah, you can't imagine going 120 degrees yeah, over a boiling point of water. That's a good point, and you mentioned that in your book. You compared a boiling pot of water on the stove versus opening your oven at 250 degrees. I mean, you open your oven at 350 degrees Fahrenheit and you're like, oh, this doesn't really feel that warm. But if you were to put your hands in 350 degree boiling water, you wouldn't have hands anymore. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so it is, it's just so effective. And that's why at the appropriate temperature, it's you know, such a great medium to, to have this effect. So you've been doing this for 20 years, you said? Yeah, pretty much. That's kind of so. You must be one of the first people to to do this and stick with it. I know p there's people that have just done it once in a while for fun, but you do it all the time. How often are you getting exposed to cold water? Uh, pretty much most days before work. On my way to work, I try and get swimming. Sometimes I swim in the pool. I mean, the pool is that's my fitness. Yeah, so that's just uh, linked with a coach and that kind of thing. But every other day, I will try and get some cold water. Yeah, I work both in England and in Norway. When I work in England, I go in the sea. And when I go in Norway, I go in the in the local lake. Although after work one day a week in Norway, through the winter, my you know, the anesthetic department, you know, the, the, the whole, you know, the whole bunch of us go for a go for a swim in the sea. That's pretty neat. And does that affect that? Uh, I, th I think some call it the mammalian dive reflex. That when you, when you first get into the water and you're like, 
and you're just like, and then this, I feel like it's an adrenaline. It's like a strange draining feeling through your whole body. Does that, if you do it frequently enough, like you, does, is it, is it profound or is it the same? Uh, no, they're, they're, actually what you're describing there is the two different effects. So you get one, the, the, that, and the real sort of adrenaline, noradrenaline thing. That's actually a, a sympathetic response. That's not the diving response. That's, you know, a stress response. And you do get that. And I do get that still. And I do feel the effects. The effects seem to last all day, but it's not, it's not as profound, not as strong an effect, I think, as it was when it first started. But to my mind, the kind of physiological effects, the after effects are pretty similar. It's just some of the pain has lessened. I mean, I still find it cold. I still don't like getting in cold water, you know, after all these years. But I know what lies on the other side of that. And that, you know, and that's what gets me in the water. And I know when I come out, I'm going to feel good. And I do still feel good. You know, I do still feel buzzy the whole day afterwards. Now, the diving effect, that's actually just when you put your face in the water. Mm, okay. And that's the parasympathetic. So it's not, it's kind of the opposite of the stress response in a way. It's sort of, it's that rest, digest, parasympathetic response. It directly stimulates the vagal nerve. And the great thing about this is it reduces inflammation directly. The, what you don't want to do is have both at the same time until you're used to it. Because if you have a, this is something you get called autonomic conflict and so yeah you've got the sympathetic response from your body and you get the parasympathetic response from your face and that's kind of you know the the brain and the heart and the electrical activity you don't really know what to do with it so which is why i always recommend you get your body in first and when you're past that <sighs> hyperventilating type experience then you can move on and put your face in because you get extra benefits from putting your face in the water okay that makes sense that makes a lot of sense yeah i took some kids at my son's school out uh, he's 16 and I, I took them out for i did a day about research and about cold water swimming and one of the experiments we did was put hands in ice ice water and you watch their heart rate and it goes up and I'm still amazed this actually works. <laughs> you put your face in a, a bowl of cold water, a bowl of iced water, and you see the heart rate. And just you know, a little while afterwards, there's it, it a bit of a lag, you know, just half a minute. And their pulse rates went down. And that shows the difference between the, the two effects. That's so neat. And I love how you called out the... You don't. It almost felt like you were saying you don't actually start to get the benefits of immersing yourself into cold water until your breathing becomes regulated. Absolutely. Yeah. And this, this is it. This is what, this is one of the ways you can determine whether you've become adapted to the cold water is its effect on your breathing. Because when you're not adapted, you take a massive called an inspiratory gasp, inspiratory gasp. So you take a big breath in and then you hyperventilate. And you can't control that. And of course, this is what's the most dangerous part of it. Because if your head is underwater, you know, waves coming over you, or you just dive, go in a bit too deep, that is a lung full of water. And that can very quickly become fatal. So 
but with you know within six six sessions six goes you know you've got control over that so now if it's in winter and there are a few waves you know, i know i can just dive straight under the water and it's all it's all fine i've found the whole aspect of psyching myself up to get into the water when i did this in norway I was inside and I'm like, okay, I know I'm going to do this. And I just kind of focused on my breathing for a little bit. And I'm pretty sure, I know there's the Wim Hof method. I don't actually know that method. So what I just did was box breathing. And I just was aware of my breath and I did the whole four count in, four count hold, four count out, four count hold and repeat. And I did that for five or six rounds and just kind of started to imagining myself in the cold, knowing I was going to do that, knowing I was going to be okay, knowing that as soon as I was done, I would be able to get warm right away. And then I just started walking and I got in. And I found that doing that, at least for me, makes a huge difference in how I feel when I get into the water. And it wasn't until I read your book that I'd ever heard about that effect of where the anticipation of the cold I think you said some type of thermogenesis. Uh, Anticipatory thermogenesis. An amazing term. idea. I didn't know that was even a thing or that our bodies were capable of doing that. So first of all, I want to know more about that, but also about just preparing your brain to get into the cold if you're new to this. How do you suggest doing that? Well, I think you, so in terms of preparation, I think what you did is, is a really good idea because you do want to, uh, there's so much you know, for a, a little bit of simple breath work makes all the difference. I'm absolutely no expert on this. You know, I do a, something I picked up from James Nestor's book, Breath. He's got a little app and you do, you know, you can set it however many seconds in, however many out. You know, I prefer six in, six out, and then and do it for six minutes. Yeah, I don't do this for swimming, but my God, you know, it just, just transforms me. And so I think it's something about this brings your, I'm guessing your autonomic nervous system kind of under control. And it really, you know, it really sort of calms me down. I might not be stressed, but there's suddenly I realize, oh, I'm breathing really fast, really shallow, comes down and, and you know, makes such a difference to how I feel inside. So from being a bit frazzled, I'm not frazzled anymore. So I think any kind of controlled breath work like that, I'm guessing, and my experience is, will help. That initial shock, and, and so that's going to help because the issue when you're starting out is you go in, you hyperventilate, it feels very much like a panic attack because, in fact, it is pretty much a panic attack. You're putting yourself under intense stress. But remember, this is good stress. You know, stress doesn't have to be bad, you know, we just don't want too much of it too often. So you're putting yourself under a stress and this is a way of making sure you're in the right place before you start. And if you, even if you begin to hyperventilate, I think if you've done some good controlled breathing beforehand, then that's going to just feel better and less panicky, I suppose. That makes sense. I think a lot of people that try this for the first time get in and they get out right away before they even had a chance to calm down. And so like you said, you don't necessarily look forward to the cold. You look forward to the feeling after the cold. And if you're not in there for a couple minutes, you probably aren't even going to get any of the good effects. And so you won't want to do it again. 
Yeah, and that's it. Because if you go in, if you just go in, you get straight out. Basically, you've had that panic attack and nothing else. I mean, you will probably get a bit of a buzz afterwards, but in your mind, it'll all be associated with that hyperventilation. If you stay in, as you say, yeah, it's just it's a minute, two minutes, you know, in Norway in May uh, or April, whenever you were there, you know, it might be less than two minutes. But you just need to stay in long enough that you get past that. And kind of that's a sense of achievement. You've overcome a challenge. But also you get to feel, oh, yes, it's not so bad. As opposed to if you just get straight out, that was just bad. So I think that's one of the reasons it's good to stay. You know, there, there are many reasons why you just need to stay that little bit longer. Mm -hmm. So last summer was one of my first exposures to really cold water. I mean, when I was a kid, I grew up in Michigan and was always swimming in the Great Lakes and Lake Superior, and they were cold. But I was at a friend's house, and he has an ice bath, and he has a sauna. And we were out playing in the yard in the sun and getting a sweat and getting warm. And then we kind of had a deal. We were having like a little competition. Whichever team lost would have to get into the 38-degree cold pool for, I don't remember if it was a minute or two minutes. And the timer didn't start until you got your head under for, like you had to dunk your head and then the timer started. You didn't have to keep it under the water, but that was when it started. I had never been that cold in my entire life. My fingers felt like they were frozen solid in the water. And um, my friend had told me, oh, well that's anywhere you were really feeling that tingling is probably areas you were having poor circulation. And so this was actually helping to improve the circulation in some of those areas. But I will tell you, when I got out, I have never felt that feeling for that rest of that day that I felt after that. I felt so good. I couldn't believe how good you could possibly feel with just a little exposure to cold. Yeah, and I think... Well, there are a couple of uh, interesting points that that brings out. One is, yeah, you just you get into the really cold water, you get out feeling good. But the other is is about the circulation. So the circulation to the hands is, you know, it shuts down really quickly. It's of course you're going to have bad circulation in your hands as soon as you get into that or put them in that kind of cold water, because you know your body just diverts warm blood away. It shuts down you because if you expose your hands or the circulation in your hands to cold water, that's just going to send cold right into your core. You don't want that. And, but to have that effect, that buzz that you had, you don't actually need to get your hands cold. And the thing is, you know, in really cold, well, really cold, uh, below 10 degrees, so what's that, below about 45 Fahrenheit, I always wear gloves and shoes. Because, you know, because it's actually painful. I mean, you're describing, I, I know the feeling well. I have been in without my gloves on, but it's, it's horrible. I don't like it. And so I wear some good neoprene gloves. Just actually some relatively light sort of water shoes is enough. It just takes the edge off. And let's face it, I'm only going to be in there two or three minutes. And that just stops the pain. You know, the effect, the profound effect you're having is, by dunking your whole body in the water. So you can still have that buzz without suffering that pain. Well, that would make it a lot more approachable for more people, I think, because there's pain seekers out there that are doing this for 
the mental fortitude mostly. Like they are just doing it as to do something hard each day to get that homedic effect or homesis effect and basically just to prove to themselves they can. Um, but if you, for the health benefits that you've described in your book, page after page of people that have seen improved health, they don't have to do the pain part to get that. <laughs> no, absolutely not. And let's face it, most of these people have been not been swimming in water that's that cold most of the time. You know, I think a lot, some start in the depths of winter, but usually by mistake. Most like me just started during the summer. And you know, what I love about so many of the stories is people came to it and they didn't not expecting any improvement in whatever condition they had, whether it's migraine or whether it's Crohn's disease. And they they just went along because for other reasons. And then they noticed those effects. And these guys are not doing it in the super cold. And this is one of the things I really like to emphasize is, well, I mean, there are three things. It doesn't have to be too cold. It doesn't have to be too long. And it doesn't have to be too often. Let's define cold because in, in your book, I think you said 68 degrees Fahrenheit was enough. And I'd always heard 55 was like your gold, like anything, anything 55 and below. But that's any, whether it's 55 or whether it's 68, that's pretty achievable, not too difficultly for most people. Yeah, totally. And you know, 68, the reason the 68 is in the book is because the the body, you know, when you get into the water, all your blood vessels shut down, you know, you vasoconstrict. And the maximum level of vasoconstriction comes at around 68, when water's about 68. And it's interesting because I find if I go in the water and it rarely goes above 20, you know, 68 in the UK and the waters around the UK. And if it is a bit warmer, I can't of course, it's summer, it's lovely, but I don't get that buzz. So for me, the ideal, so what I'm saying is that at 68, below 68, you're getting a really profound physiological effect. Now, when you're getting down to about 55, then you do have, it does have more of an effect. And between 10 and 15 degrees centigrade, which I, I guess is about 48, 55, somewhere about that region, then... You know, that's probably, if you're looking at how you adapt to the water, how your heart rate, how your pulse, how all these things adapt to the water, that's probably the maximum adaptation at that level. So you don't need to go any colder. I have to say, if I, if I swim when it is colder, that buzz is higher and that buzz lasts longer. But if you're looking for health effects, I mean, that's just a, a fun effect, but the... If you're looking at the health benefit, my feeling is that that you know anything under sixty eight and you're getting something good and really below about fifty forty eight fifty you're not actually seeing any greater health effect or not 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 clinically significant, so we say exactly yeah and and from what I had understood, it was at fifty five degrees Fahrenheit, which I think you said was. I don't know, 15 uh, Celsius. Um, that's where you get a lot of mitochondria benefits of the cold exposure at a cellular level. 
and I do not understand any of this stuff. I just know, okay, if I can shoot for 55 and I get 99% of the benefit, I don't really need to go much colder than that. Yeah, exactly. And I think, I think that's it. For me, it's, uh, that's how I feel it is. That's my reading of it. You know, no one's done the precise experiments on this. But, you know, if you look at the data and take everything as, as a whole, that really seems to me to be the the thing you know and like the courses we run for people with anxiety and depression they have been in water certainly we started out when they're you know more like 55 60 degrees and you know these guys it, it's had a profound effect you know people love it and they it really helps their condition so you know you can look at the mitochondria effects you can look at these tiny areas and it's utterly fascinating but for me and the way i've approached my research is starting from the top down first of all you'll see do people like it does it have an effect and then over time we can go and look at these fascinating areas of what's happening in the cells that makes sense yeah if people like it and they're having fun with it and they're feeling better from it that's really enough right there if there's also uh, changes to your health from it, great, but um, and there is, but they're really not that necessary anymore if you're having fun and you're actually feeling better. And that buzz, I just want to talk about that because I'm a high performance guy on this podcast. We talk a lot about performance and getting more done and, and building the life of your dreams. And I find that mental clarity after being exposed to cold can last the entire day where it almost feels like I have laser vision. Like whatever I'm focused on, I can focus on without any distraction for as long as I want for the rest of the day. It feels like a superpower. Yeah, well, I think there, there are kind of two things to this. So it comes back to what we were talking about earlier is you know, you've got stress, you've got good stress and uh, or you stress as it's known. And it's giving you good stress. And good stress is where it does help you focus. And it does really yeah, mean you can keep going. And I think you do get that. You know, I certainly, yeah, and I think that's what you're getting with the cold. You're getting a good stress. And one of the great things about this, you put a drug inside your body. I mean, in a way, you can say it's like cocaine because you're getting adrenaline, you're getting noradrenaline, you're probably getting a bit of dopamine, all this kind of stuff. And you say, well, it's... Yeah, yeah, it's uh, biochemically, it's not a million miles away. However, what you're seeing here is the is totally under control of the body, and the body always has mechanisms to counterbalance this. Yeah, you know, every system in the body is a, a system of balance and counterbalance, and so it will be. Whereas you're getting that high with the adrenaline and noradrenaline at the same time, the body will be pulling that back and making sure it doesn't go too far in a really amazing dynamic equilibrium. So that's why, yeah, you can have these profound effects, but without the, without the side effects. It was interesting. So uh, I talk about in the book, the, the first woman we took, uh, took on the course to see if it worked. And uh, yeah, just took on a, a swim and adapted her and everything because you know, she was suffering from depression. And the television presenter who was running it, he, he hadn't done it before. And the first time he 
got out of the water. He said to me, God, if this was a drug, they'd make it illegal. <laughs> and, uh, and, and that's the, that is the uh, kind, of, kind of buzz you get, I suppose, out of it. That is perfect. I'm writing that down because that would be a great title for this episode, I think, because it's true. That's what it feels like. And it's free. My issue with cold exposure is access. I actually live in the tropics in South Carolina, and there's not really that much cold water. So I get it if you're in the north, it's more accessible. But what do you do if you aren't in the north, if you want to get this uh, this effect and you want to get it regularly? Well, I think it comes back to what I was saying earlier. You know, it doesn't have to be too cold, doesn't have to be too uh, too often, and it doesn't have to be for too long. So, I mean, I don't know. What, what, what temperature does cold water come out of, the, out of the shower? I mean, yeah, so showers work. We know shower, cold showers have an effect. They don't have as much of an effect because they cool you as quickly and, you know, they're, they're just not as cold as cold water. But there, there was one study which showed that the, in one office, people, the people who took a shower took less sick days than those who didn't. So, you know, it's not a massive effect, but you can you can measure an effect. The other thing is, yeah, if you really want to, you can do it in a bar. I mean, part of the aspect for me is going down, meeting my friends, or going, yeah, going out with friends from work and just getting in the water. And I think that's a massive thing, and certainly from the courses we've run, that's the feedback is it's about doing it as a community. And we know this is another amazing thing for people, yeah, reducing social isolation has a really positive effect on both mental and physical health. But if you can't do that, you can just fill the bath with cold water and stick a load of ice in. You know, it doesn't have to be five degrees. You know, you can just get in at 18, you know, you know 68 or a bit under, and that will still have an effect. You're still getting that effect on your body. If you get your body into the water and then ask with your face, you will be having that physiological effect. You won't be having the exercise. You won't be having the community. You won't be having the blue and the green therapy. But you know you will get the benefits of the cold. So, what would be if let's say someone is in an urban environment and they don't have access to the blue or the green, and they were going to do the bath protocol? I think that is good. I'm I'm really thinking for myself so I can capture more of this because it's basically only when i travel that i do this and i want it at home what would be the minimum effective dose do you think is it once a week twice a week i think it's once a week i think you you get a good effect at once a week and certainly when they some of the studies where they've done adaptation programs what they've done is do it one once a week for six weeks so that's a typical experimental adaptation program so i i think that's enough and sometimes in the winter yeah, if I'm working in Norway during the winter, it, it can be really quite hard work to get out. So I'm only doing it once, maybe twice a week. That's pretty approachable. If you can get to water to 68 degrees Fahrenheit, out of the tap where I'm at, I think it's around 70. I don't, I don't think it's that far from there. I wouldn't really even have to add that much ice to get it a little bit lower. I, I was imagining, oh, I have to go to the gas station and get you know, 10, 20 pound bags of ice and dump it in there and really get it down. But I don't think I would actually have to do that based on what you're saying. 
No, I don't. I'd be, I'd be interested to hear how, how it is. Yeah, have we only lived in temperate to cold climates? I, I, this hasn't been an, uh, a, a thing for me, but I mean, yeah, it's quite good. You could just do the thing. I think if you get it down to, say, 60, then then you're really doing well. But you really ain't, but you need proportionately so much more, as you say, so much ice to get it down to, to you know, nearer freezing. But you don't. You, you really do. I really don't think you do it. And you get in when it's 55, 60, you know, you're going to feel cold. Yeah. And it, it, and it's, I think mentally it's less of a hurdle to get into a 60 degree bath than a 35 degree bath. Yeah, without a doubt. Okay. And then, so what's this about hot and cold contrasts? Cause I've also heard a lot about kind of going from heat to cold back to heat, back to cold, and kind of playing on those uh, physiological changes that occur from going from those temperatures? Uh, I'm not sure. You know, as far as I know, there's no, you know, on these kind of physiological effects, there's not stuff on looking at that, you know, movement between the two. I think for me, doing the hot to cold is more about it's just it's a good thing it's a nice thing to do so one of the really important things to understand is that becoming hypothermic is always bad for you so exposing yourself to cold that's good for you but if you expose yourself to cold too long that's bad for you it's like going to the gym you know you're going to work out you're going to work hard you don't want to tear a muscle and injure yourself and that's hypothermia is thermal injury basically and how do you know, before before you go on, how do you know if you're at that point? Because I think a lot of people that listen to this show are doing extreme cold exposure, possibly. Could they be getting to that and not really even realizing? Yeah. And the, so very simply, the way I do it when I'm swimming, so I tend to swim. So and when you're swimming, the first thing to go is the small muscles in your hand stop working properly. Because, yeah, they're the most... Yeah, most exposed, they're most vulnerable, they cool down really quickly because they're just exposed to cold. And you get what's called claw hand, and that means you can't bring your fingers together. Normally, if you're swimming, you're trying to bring your fingers together, and it just becomes a bit difficult. And when that comes, that's a really good sign. It's an early sign. Yeah, you see, oh, that's coming. You've got time to get out and just get out and and warm up, and it's fine. You're not going to be hypothermia is you're not going to be doing damage to yourself so that's uh that's a good point then those who are really hypothermic there's i, I can never remember all the umbles but it's like yeah grumbles you get fumbles yeah and that's the small muscles in the hand again you trip up you know, you uh yeah so stumbles yeah you see you can't speak you stumble you fall over things and this kind of thing so you're yeah, your whole body is kind of shutting down because your body doesn't work at temperatures below, very well below, you know, your normal body temperature. It's, you know, highly regulated. So that's a bit of a late stage. I think the most dangerous, difficult one to work out is is what is a, is a thing called after drop. So often you be in the water and you come out of the water and you feel fine. You know, your hands be a bit, bit stiff, but you know, you're, you're okay. But the cold, you know, you've, 
your fat, your muscles, all that is kind of like a storage heater. And if it stores hot, and this is why going in the sauna first is great. Yeah, it's uh, because then your storage heater is full of heat. It makes it feel easy. It's like the cheap mode for cold exposure. <laughs> Absolutely. But if you're still, when your storage heater is completely full of cold, you know, some of that will start going into the body and your body's managed to protect that core and keep your core, keep your heart, your lungs, your brain nice and warm. But then that can go in, that can seep in after a while into the body. And that can happen after you get out. Yeah, once you're out, it's probably not dangerous, but you are, yeah, I wouldn't say it's dangerous, but it's bad for you. I think it's probably the best way of describing it. So that's the thing. And that's kind of an experience thing. And I think now I'm pretty good. I know if I don't go in now, I'm going to get a bit of after drop. I'm going to feel cold when I come out. And that's, that's a bit more difficult to judge, but certainly with the, the claw hand, then you can judge. And the other, the umbles, that's, that's a point where someone else probably needs to recognize it for you and say, Hey, this is, this has gone too far. And that's what I like about your protocol is one, it's typically not a solo adventure. You're usually doing this with other people. Two, you already have, before you step into the water, your exit plan. Not only where you're going to go, but you have some kind of a kit with maybe a robe or uh, obviously a towel, maybe a wool underlayer. Like you already have plans versus just like on a whim, climbing into the cold water, being in there a little bit too long, and then having no way to warm up when you get out. That's what I like is it's not risky. I mean, it's, it's about having a plan. It's about having a plan and having fun. It's more fun with other people and, and it makes it so much safer. You know, and people are, you know, cold is dangerous, but, you know, done sensibly, like so many things, it's, it's perfectly safe. And, you know, in even very cold temperatures are perfectly safe, but with an exit plan and with backup. And I know that the culture in Scandinavia is a little bit different with cold and heat. But at least here in, in America, I feel like not getting cold and not getting heat ever is more dangerous because if you're just sitting inside in climate control all the time, you're never exposing yourself to any side of the coin. You're just basically always at room temperature. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And it's interesting. A few years ago, I went to a conference on temperature management. Yeah, it was more general. Yeah, my background is as a, an anesthesiologist and keeping patients warm during surgery and then all this stuff with the cold exposure. But there are a lot of people who study heat exposure and it does appear that heat exposure, you know, in saunas and you know, high temperatures and thermal stress in kind of the other direction has similar beneficial effects. I think the impression I got though is it's just a bit more difficult because the guys who are trying to use this and you can use it for depression and anxiety and people have used it for that but you know they're actually getting people to become hypothermic they're raising their body temperature to how it would be for a fever or something like that and you know you've got to be in a sauna for quite a long time again come back to how air just doesn't have as much heat as cold it's just harder work to do that but maybe that's why it feels good to have a really hot bath as well 
But the cold, it's just that the cold is just such a convenient package. Certainly, yeah, where I live, it's, uh, it's, it's such a convenient package. So with, with heat, I'm just thinking about the best way to, to set this up. If you are in a sauna and you're there for 20 minutes and you get pretty hot and maybe you're even doing some yoga or some movement in there to kind of get the, the, the blood pumping and because you mentioned exercise before getting in the cold can really help. But if you then get in the cold like you do, do you have to be in there longer because your core temperature or your body was warmer to begin with or does it not really matter? I don't think it really matters. I think, you know, so what we know is that the physiological effect of cold comes down to two things. It's one, the absolute temperature of that cold exposure and two, the rate of cooling. Because yeah, a lot of this is mediated through the skin. You know, the receptors in your skin, you know, you think about it, you get into cold water, it's the receptors in the skin. And they are stimulated just as much. And you know, perhaps even it's more because you just, we were talking about earlier, you get the contrast between the hot and the cold. And it's like a greater difference. I, I don't know if that's the case, but you could make that argument. That makes sense. Yeah, your body would, it would notice, a, a, I mean, going... Like, let's say you went from 180 degree air temperature sauna down to a 60 degree um, cold water. That's a huge differential. Your body might act, it might seem more intense to the body from that. Yeah. And, you know, and the humans, you know, in whatever, we are designed to notice change. So, yeah, alterations in temperature, and the greater the alteration, the more we notice it. So, it makes sense from that point of view that the the getting into the cold has more effect. But I certainly think it has the same effect because your receptors, you know, you're still getting cold quickly and you're getting cold. You know, it's a, the absolute temperature is cold and the rate of cooling is quick. And it's more tolerable. It's much, it's so much nicer. I mean, you know, it's a, it just makes such a difference. I mean, we've, got a friend in Norway who's got uh, lives with a lake at the bottom of the garden and a sauna in the garden and we go down and you know a couple of years ago her dad took out a chainsaw cut a hole in the ice and in we got into this uh, into this super cold water but that wasn't as bad as say doing it you know just walking down to the uh, probably about two Two three hundred yards from the beach, you know, just walking down there and trying desperately trying to keep cold, uh, warm in the wind with all my layers and everything, you know, even when it's you know warmer than that, yeah, you know, even when it's sort of a uh, fifty sixty. That's what I was hoping to find in Norway, and I did find in Bergen downtown a place that had saunas right next to the. Um, the Fiske Torte, the fish market there. And I never got a chance to do it. So I guess we have to go back because that was my Scandinavian dream of, you know, sauna to into the cold lake. <laughs> oh, well, I tell you what, I had the most amazing experience about three weeks ago. We that say, so we live in Kristensand, which is like, you know, a bit, it's probably three, four, five hours from Oslo. But we went up to Oslo, actually to see Elton John. Fantastic. <laughs> but, uh, but the next day, so we're waiting around for the train to come back. And I thought, well, what can I do? I've got to do something. You know, I really want to go swimming, obviously. And I knew they had saunas 
uh, on the fjord in Oslo. So there's Oslo Fjord, which is like the big, big place. But what I discovered is even better than that, they have motorized saunas. So they're little boats or little rafts, really, with saunas on. And they drive, you drive out, you get in the sauna, they all set up and they're really hot, really beautiful wood-fired saunas. And they drive you out uh, around the field and they say, okay, this is a good spot for swimming. And so you just uh, say, right, okay, I'm hot. You jump into the, or we'll get in there, <laughs> you jump into the thing, you go up on the top and jump from the roof into the thing I've got this. So I did it with two of my sons and we, we just had an absolute blast, you know, jumping off the sword and yeah. So that's, that's what I would recommend you do. I will do that because that to me sounds so amazing because the water won't even, I know this for a fact, the water doesn't feel cold. It feels refreshing. It's, it's amazing how, when you get really warm, how that frigid water can actually make you feel good i am curious how was elton john in concert because I, I that would be so neat uh, yeah he's he, yeah he was absolutely brilliant you know he's he's such a talented musician yeah he's got the great songs and obviously you need that but he you know i think the best one well, i mean it was all brilliant I, I just loved it but they they did a version of rocket man which probably like 10 15 minutes long and you know, going in and out of various things, jamming with the band and different members of the band going and playing off each other, and and they, you know, there's a lot of showmanship. He's not he's not the athlete he used to be, but yeah, you know, the piano moving around the stage and things like this. So he did a really good job. But the music is just so good. And my kids, they're not Elton John fans, but they loved it. Yeah, and I think that's a real mark of someone who's good. Exactly. I watched his. Uh music biopic and or maybe it was, i watched that and then i watched an interview of him recently and it was interesting he's like some of the songs that people loved were ones i didn't actually really like that much and he's like some of the ones that no one's ever heard of were some of my favorite ones yeah <laughs> but he has such a wide a big back catalog doesn't he and yeah. something for everyone yeah yeah then in a lot of them we haven't heard before it's kind of amazing how prolific of an artist he's been yeah, and yeah, and that's it. And he did uh, in the middle of the show. He did a uh, two or three of the more obscure ones, but yeah, again, it was where riffing with the band was just fantastic. Great musicianship, and of course, he did the right thing. He came up and finished off with uh, with all the all the hits. Yeah, he had to do Crocodile Rock. I'm sure. I mean, that's a, oh, always yeah. a crowd pleaser. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I I couldn't think of a single song he missed out, but. Yeah, I, I know quite a lot of his stuff, and uh, yeah, everything was there as far as I was concerned. <laughs> the the one thing that kind of surprised me in your book I hadn't really thought of before was I think you might have written that you recommend doing this in the afternoon versus in the morning or the evening. Did I read that correctly? Like when like getting exposed? Yes, to yes cold? and no. Well, it's I think there's a thing of personal preference, but what. The, what I said, if you're starting out and you're a bit nervous, then it's quite good to do it in the afternoon rather than the morning. I always do it in the morning. Yeah, that's what, you know, 99% of the time. That's what I just love doing. I get up, I haven't woken up, go have a swim, and then I'm set up for the day. However, as you get, you know, I notice even that if I go an hour or two later than normal and you get the radiant effect of the sun maybe, or even not, but just an hour or two later in the day, 
it feels a lot warmer when I get in the water. And this is about the, you know, as the day goes on, your body warms up. You know, your natural, your body has a natural rhythm with temperature, a natural pattern, and it's lowest first thing in the morning. So as you go through the day, you naturally warm up. And as you naturally warm up, yeah, the water is gonna going to feel a bit a bit bit better so and also i mean the other thing is yeah you, you've touched on this as well in getting warm the best thing you can do for get warm i mean you can go into a sauna and then you just warm right through and your storage heater is full but if you've not got the opportunity to totally fill your storage heater what is best is to start warming up from the inside out so with exercise and things like that and so just the your natural movement, your daily movement of getting around and about, that means you're slightly warmer in the afternoon. You know, you're in a better place, I suppose, having moved around a lot during the day to get into the water in the afternoon. So that's it's more about starting out than to reduce that fear and to make it a less stressful experience just when you're getting going. Okay, that makes a ton of sense. I was wondering if it had anything to do with, I don't know, cortisol levels in the morning versus afternoon or, or anything like that. But that, that makes perfect sense because you've just been laying in bed for seven and a half to nine hours and you, your, your body was trying to keep itself cool at night and, and all of that. So that makes sense. Here's a, an interesting... So we've been talking a little bit about doing it in a tub or a, a cold um, pool and before we change off that topic, because I have a couple questions about how I can actually do it in the river that I live near, um, but I'm a little bit intimidated, so I need you to make me feel comfortable. But but first things, um, just for listeners, I know that there are many, many options for heat and many, many options for cold that you can kind of equip your home with, and some of them are not that expensive. I saw there's this sauna blanket. If you don't have room for a big cedar sauna or some kind of infrared sauna like me, you can actually get this um, this sauna blanket that you can just, it's like a sleeping bag that is heated inside and you can get basically many of the same exact effects as a big tall cedar sauna. And the name's escaping me right now, which is uh, crazy. Uh, it's actually Higher Dose is the name of the company that, I, that makes that sauna blanket. And I've heard such great things about them. And like you said, before you get in the sauna, the more you get your blood pumping, a little bit of movement, your sweat's going to be so much more profound in the sauna too. So this is making, there's so much in connection with the cold and the heat. I'm finding so many similarities. I have a lot more experience with heat being from South Carolina and 100 degree weather. Um, and then there's also for cold, you can go and buy a, a chest freezer for $150 and it can keep the water cold. You can buy the Morosco Forge, which is like this uh, Cadillac of a cold exposure system that cleans the water with infrared technology and cools the water to whatever temperature you want. I think it could be in the mid-30s Fahrenheit, and it's beautiful, and it's big, and you can get completely in the water. Or you can go simple with just an ice bath or a rain barrel that you put ice in or, or things like that. So it doesn't have to be expensive. There's Cadillac versions and there's basic versions um, available. But what I'm really curious is swimming in the open water. I live on an island in South Carolina 
and there's water within a thousand feet of me and it's a river it's salt water there's tides and there's sharks and stingrays and dolphins and manatees and lots of scary things in there how can i convince my wife to let me jump in and swim around off the dock yeah that's uh, that's interesting i have to say i don't know much about south carolina aquatic wildlife so i can't imagine though that there is so many around there yeah i've been you know most of these things go away from you yeah i've been swimming in the sea for so many years and you know i think the biggest problem we have actually more in norway than in, the, in where i live in the uk uh is jellyfish that that's what uh we have but but yeah, most wildlife you see it and it just disappears you know, the fish come along and you know they want to want to get away and they they're just not going to be there and uh, if you want to convince it it's the exit plan i think that's the thing you know you just jump in again you don't have to be in very long that's one of the things you have to be don't have to go out miles and uh go and try and meet the stingrays and the manatees or whatever you can uh just stay close to the edge and just be in uh chill out for a bit make a lot of splash i don't know what's good to uh keep them away but around that area you do it with someone else you know i i can't imagine you know it's just having the exit strategy and having the safety strategy which is other people and and the ladder to get out okay yeah i so there is a ladder there is a dock and it is it's not connected to the huge body of water. It's like a it's like a leg from the river. So I don't think there's as big of fish that are there. And it's it's something I could walk down and do a few times a week for free. And I think I don't know this. I'm gonna go test the water when we get home. But I feel like it's got to be closer to closer to seventy or colder. I just can't imagine it would be very warm there. Yeah, it sounds sounds wonderful to me. You know, you really. I, thought, I suppose this is again. Yes, yeah, one of those things I sort of get across is it doesn't have to be a big, massive swim. It's in a way. I mean, you know, the the book is the cold water swim cure. In a way, you know, and that makes sense. But it, you can take the swimming out. I mean, I suppose in the UK, the the, the term is dipping, and you know, there's swimmers and they're dippers. I, I I am a swimmer, but I'm also a dip. I love a dip rather than a, a swim. Yeah, you know, some days just get in, chill out by the edge of the water, uh, yeah, by the by the shore, and just let the waves roll me around a bit, and then and then come back in. And yeah, you know, really, you're going to have the same effect. Yeah, you know, again, most of the effect will be in that, and you can get your exercise somewhere else. That's the that's the thing. I love the term dipping. I think. That would be a great one for us to bring into the U.S. and just call it a cold water dip. And it just sounds a lot less intimidating, actually. Oh, I'm just going to take a dip in the cold water for a bit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, it really is. And that's all you need to do. This is really cool. And I did have a couple more notes of things because I, I, this, this, there's this culture of cold water exposure for basically it's like... Um, the fountain of youth in a way it can it can cure so many or help with so many ailments but one that i hear come up a lot is blood sugar benefits and people that are kind of having exposure to cold 
prior to their biggest meal of the day. I've even had friends who will get their friends to all jump into the cold water before they have a huge dinner with, uh, with breads and wines and all these different, um, um, different types of foods. To, and they, they, some of these people have these continuous glucose monitors and they see their blood sugar kind of just go a lot more stable after that. Have you done any research or read anything about that? I mean, what do, what do you think about that? I haven't. That, that's kind of using it in a in a really acute setting, a really short term setting. So I don't know much about that. Uh, but it, again, it kind of, it makes sense because of the way it affects your. You know, although it might boost things initially, it the the thing is, you know, that equilibrium, that dynamic equilibrium, the body's whole systems are kind of become more toned and more attuned, and so it's going to have. You know, you're going to be pulled back quicker. It's just more reactive, the body. So although you might, you know, the stress, you know, adrenaline, noradrenaline actually increases blood sugar, but it also pull it back down. But the, you know, it does appear. So there are a couple of things. It does appear that if you go into water, as you adapt, one of the adaptations to cold water, so this is a, a longer term effect, is that your body becomes more sensitive to insulin. And, you know, insulin sensitivity is just such a profound thing. Insulin has, you know, we think about it a lot as just its effect on sugar, but it's kind of, to me, it's almost the most profound metabolic hormone we have. It has so many effects. And for the body to become more sensitive to it is is a really good thing. I mean, type 2 diabetes is insensitivity to, to insulin. Yeah, rather than just high sugar, it's because the body becomes insensitive to insulin. And... So, you know, by toning the body, by swimming in the cold water, by adapting to cold water, that improves. There's, it's also the effect on inflammation because you have long-term, you know, this is something we haven't touched upon that much, is, you know, the, the source of so many of society's illnesses these days, modern lifestyle illnesses, is raised inflammation. And you have a raised baseline of inflammation and you have higher peaks of inflammation. Again, like stress, it's a good thing. It's our body's first line of defense. And you know, we need insulin, uh, inflammation. We don't want too much inflammation. We need good inflammation, physiological inflammation, not pathological or bad inflammation. And adapting to a cold water you know, by swimming regularly you know, once a week, or whatever, that brings those baselines down that brings those peaks down. And one of the consequences of high inflammation, you know, the body part of inflammation is higher blood sugar because, you know, you want your white blood cells to have and all your other defense mechanisms to have lots of sugar around, you know, lots of energy to fight off the invaders or fix your, uh, your cuts or burns or whatever. So it has an effect through that as a more long-term effect. And again, you know, you put your face in the water, you have the parasympathetic anti-inflammatory effects. For you know the more immediate effect from that as well, that makes that uh, is just an extra benefit because I feel like we keep finding so many of these diseases, autoimmune diseases, diabetes, Alzheimer's, um, Parkinson's, and and so many other things that you mention in this book are connected to inflammation in the body and from many 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 causes. And this is cold cold dipping or cold swimming is something you can do for free and have fun 
And also, not only are you getting these health benefits, but you're actually also getting to feel good and feel like you challenged yourself. And uh, I love how you go so deep in the book about the community aspect and tell the stories of all the different people. Because for me, cold has always been a solo challenge. Like, can I do that? Am I tough enough? We were just at um, in Montana at Glacier National Park. And I was like, am I tough enough to go knee deep in that water right now? And I was like, yeah, I am. And I went and did it. And it was frigid. And it should have been frozen, but it was such a strong river. It wasn't. But I like the the, the teamwork aspect. I think that's where the true benefits are really going to come together. Yeah, and that's it. A lot of the feedback we got from the courses was that, yeah, they loved that sense of community. And also it got people going back, you know, because they felt they didn't want to let every, anyone else down. You know, they, that immediately kicked in. You know, these are people who never met each other. But yeah, even after the first time, they just didn't want, you know, they, they felt part of that community. And one of the things I hoped to see, and I've always, you know, my theory has always been that once you get hooked on it, you're just going to keep doing it. So you, you run a course for someone and then they will just want to keep doing it afterwards. So it's kind of a self-sustaining treatment, which obviously is much cheaper and better, you know, better for the health service and whatever. And we absolutely find that. And these people there, they created WhatsApp groups, they're out swimming together, or they've created other groups with other people. And, you know, they, you know, three months later, the vast majority were still swimming. Wow. Maybe I can make it a community effort in my neighborhood and just put on, we have the next door app. It's like a Facebook for our neighborhood. And uh, most of the people that live in the neighborhood are on that app. I could just say, hey, Saturday morning, 9 a.m., I'm going to be down at the dock. Anyone who wants to take a quick dip with me and start the weekend off on a good note, meet me there and just see what happens. Well, I mean, this is uh, this is what happened to uh, Rachel. So I speak about Rachel in the book. Uh, under you know, she had a very traumatic childhood, she had a really hard time, and you know, yeah, you know, she's she suffered, and then you know, one uh, New Year's Eve up in Edinburgh, she went back to visit her parents, went for the the polar plunge New Year dip, and said, "Wow, this is good." And then all she did is when she went back home, she put out exactly what you're saying, a Facebook thing, community Facebook thing, saying, look, I'm going for a swim. Anyone fancy coming along? And now out of that has developed mental health swims, which is this fantastic resource. You know, they, you know, it's just about people coming down to the beach, going in for a swim or a dip or just standing on the beach, just paddling, whatever. But they, you know, they make sure that they're, they're they're called hosts. So it's it's not an organised thing as such. It's not a not formal in any way. But you know that there's someone there who knows who can look out for you, and you know there is another bunch of people who are similarly minded. And you know, it's mental health swim, so it's particularly for people who may have mental health problems but they can feel part of a community. Other people suffer, you know, and, you know, this it's huge now. I mean, hundreds of groups, thousands of people going in every week. 
And it's just, you know, from one Facebook post, I mean, only about three or four years ago, it's just remarkable what she's done. I mean, obviously, you need to be someone like Rachel with this drive and this vision to expand upon it. And she's done a fabulous job of that. And, you know, now she says, well, you know, she loves the swimming. That's how she came to it. And she loves the cold and it has such a good effect. But for her, that bringing together of that community, that's what has had the most profound effect on her own mental health. That makes so much sense. And that's so exciting. And it shows how something as simple as getting cold in the water can make such a change in your life. And something that probably 100 or 200 years ago was just a regular occurrence through life. You just, you were fishing, you fell in once in a while, you know, you had to reach in, you had to go, you know, untangle a line somewhere. I mean, and there were so many opportunities to get exposure to cold and to heat that we're just missing now. And our bodies are clearly craving it. Yeah, that's it. We, we, we crave challenge. You know, uh, you know, talking earlier, we just don't move at all from uh, air conditioned 20 degrees, you know, 68, whatever. It, you know, the body needs challenge. And if it doesn't have these, you know, it, it becomes flabby. It's, you, know, you need that toning of the sympathetic system and the parasympathetic system. And you need that toning of your insulin and your glucose system. You know, just, yeah, it will go along and and it will run, but it doesn't run properly. And I think this is, you know, you mentioned hormesis, and this is kind of what we're talking about. But those slightly bigger challenges, I mean, I don't know, is it, I don't know quite what hormesis covers. Does it cover going for a, a fire? Yeah, you know, thirty-five degree dip. I don't know, but yeah, you, know, you get the point. Yeah, you if you can get into the cold water, it's not as hard to call back a client or uh, send that email or say no to that piece of food you maybe know you shouldn't be eating. It's like I can do that. I can easily do these other things too. And then all that stuff starts to stack on top of each other. When you start to feel a little bit better in any aspect of your health, then you are. It's like a drug. You want to keep getting that so you're going to keep exploring other ways to feel better and and before long you're going to have a, a whole new life and a whole new health yeah and you know as you say i mean one of the most important things to being able to do all those things to resist temptation to do difficult things is getting good enough sleep and again that's one of the things we've had feedback you know spontaneous feedback for it's not a question we ask directly people say i'm sleeping so much better when they start doing cold water swimming and you know sleep i mean that's that's the ultimate you know get your sleep first and then then think about swimming in cold water but maybe you need something to help you sleep and actually that cold water can help you do that do you think the do you know why i mean my first instinct would be that if you have more exposure to variance in temperature your body can manage cooling of the body quicker so as you're sleeping, your body's cooling itself better and you can get into deeper sleep. I mean, do you have any theories of why cold would might help your sleep? Yeah, I think that's, that's one of those things. Again, it's this toning of the whole body, the whole bodily system. You know, we don't think, you know, we, for many years now, we've just focused on smaller and smaller aspects of the body and, you know, reductionist. Yeah, it's all very reductionist. But, you know, just keeping the, the bigger systems toned. And so, you know, you're, they're, they're all working. 
I think that helps. And, you know, so your temperature control will be better and your sleep pattern will be better. And if you there's contrast during the day, you are, you know, that means that when you come to nighttime, it's different from lunchtime when you've gone for a swim, whatever, rather than just being, I get up, sit in an office, sit in a chair, go eat, sit in a chair, watch TV, sit in a chair. So there's more contrast. And so the, that helps. And also, I think it's the the whole exercise of doing something. You know, there there is an effect. I think there is. Yeah, you know, it's a cold is a challenge as well. You know, it's like exercise. You know, we sleep better after exercise. Well, it's not too close to bed. I find it can't do it too late. No, uh, exactly. but uh, <laughs> but you know, it, if you've done so, I've done exercise during the day. I do sleep better in the, at night. So I think it, it works on on those two kind of levels. That makes a, I, and I, I just thought of one more, probably pretty common reason is a lot of my friends who have a hard time falling asleep and staying asleep are re- telling me that they are laying awake thinking and they're stressed or they're planning their day. But if you do this shock of the system, you're in, you know, you're breathing deeper the rest of the day, you're less stressed when you lay down. On top of all those other things, you're going to be less stressed and you'll fall asleep quicker. Well, I, and this is something that we haven't really touched on is the way that it just takes you out of your brain. It takes you out of the chatter. And I mentioned in the book, the uh, Jill Bolt-Taylor, the neuroscientist who had a stroke. And you know, she woke up, she realized she was having a stroke, but she didn't care. She thought, wow, this is amazing. Yeah, and she really... The whole experience, she felt at one with the world and it was a pleasant experience, but she's so struggled. I mean, yeah, her TED Talk is phenomenal. What was her name? Uh, Jill Bolt-Taylor. Yeah, it's a, a multi-million TED Talk. Okay. And the reason for this was because she was having a left-sided stroke. There was a bleed into the left-hand side of her brain. And the left-hand side of her brain has a sense of self, that sense of fear, a sense of time, it, what's, yeah, what keeps things right, it's the chatter. The right-hand side of the brain, that's empathy, that's being at one with the world, that's living in the minute. And when she, yeah, when I listened to this, I thought, do you know what, that's exactly what I get when I go into the water. You know, I go in with all my chatter, you know, much chatter and rubbish as everyone else. And I go in and it's like, oh, my God, this is horrible. And and then the, my breathing comes under control, whatever, you know, you just get past that horrible. I thought I didn't have the breathing thing, but, you know, I just get past the horrible bit and then it's like, oh, this is good. And then I'll come out and this was it, you know, especially when I cycled to work in Norway, you know, 15, you know, 10 miles, stop for my swim. You know, I'm really hot and sweaty, loads of chatter. And I get out and, you know, it's this profound sense of, oh, you know, the world is a great place and it's this and what she describes it as a step to the right and this is what her mission has become is to get people to make this step to the right and you know i go back to work and then the chatter comes back but it's you know it's reset me for the whole day and you can reset you at any point of the day that's a great place to end our conversation but before we do i'd like to give you a chance to plug your book and and share where we can learn more about you and the work you're doing. And um, I think, I know I'm inspired, and I'm going to get into that river in the next week 
and just make it safe and start doing it now since it's June. And then that way, when it gets colder later in the year, it, it, it even if it's not at 68 now, I'll be ready. So, yeah, well, I mean, yes, the, there's not a lot for me to, um, you know, I'm a, a full-time doctor. I don't have much chance to uh, do social media. I do a bit of a few things. Well, I find interesting stuff. I put it out on Twitter. It's the, uh, the wild swim doctor. And there'll be a website coming soon, drmarkharper.com. I'm still working on that. But, yeah, essentially what I like to say, go out and see these other groups that are doing it. I work with that, you know, they're really doing the work. So there's mental health swims. There's a group called Seashore in Brighton, which is S-E-A-S-U-R-E. Uh, and they put together courses for various people, various groups. Yeah, their aim is to put courses together for gr- groups of people who might not otherwise get in the sea. And then there's chilluk.org, which is the group that I've been working with. You know, so I've delivered the research, as it were, and the rest of the research team have been doing that. But Chill UK have been delivering the courses and doing the swimming. There's a guy called Mike Morris who's done a fabulous job with that and they're the ones that's that they're the ones that you know worth looking at and seeing okay and what was the there was one more called mental health swims right yeah mental health swims so okay yeah i'll make sure to link to all of those into your upcoming website your twitter account in the show notes for this episode over at quandall.com and i'll also find um, jill bolt taylor's um, TED Talk, because that sounds pretty awesome about stepping to the right. I know that that's something we all could do a little bit more of. Um, I am curious, as a full-time doctor, what else do you have planned? Because this seems like you're you're stepping out into something different and you're wanting to kind of share more. What's your plans? Well, I mean, this is it. How does an anesthesiologist, you know, someone who puts people to sleep for a, for a living end up dealing with with mental health uh so the the current plan it's it, it's kind of more of the same but developing it so what i'm hoping to do is run course for teenagers i'm now looking at doing stuff for teenagers and then maybe younger kids and then just expanding it and finding the best way to deliver these courses because ultimately it's about getting people to do it themselves and you know, it doesn't have to be something um, expensive, as you've pointed out. It doesn't have to be some expensive way of doing it. You just get people, give them the confidence, make sure they're doing it safe, make sure they know how to be safe about it, get them into their groups and get them out there. And so it's just expanding that to different groups, I think, is what I'm doing. You know, I'm really keen to do some stuff with teenagers, you know, because... Most of this is like uh, middle-aged. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's our demographic at the moment. It's all the middle-aged. So we need to expand that out. And there is such a problem with teen mental health that I think, yeah, I'd really like to be able to do that. And it's a different challenging in demographic, but the work I've done uh, on a couple of courses now at schools, including my son's school, and it shows they really enjoy it. They really take to it. It's just, getting it out there so they see it okay yeah and i was thinking as you were talking about kids and mental health it reminded me of this video i saw of of a school in eastern europe and the kids at recess were like outside in 
shoes and hats and gloves like playing in the snow but they were like shirtless or whatever and in shorts and and they were had all red flush skin and they were throwing snowballs at each other they were you know messing with the ice and and then they would go back inside and i remember in this video it talked about how those kids never called off school sick they were healthy they had strong immune systems and they loved it. Like it was not weird for them to get cold. It was weird, probably not to get cold. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I do. I, when uh, my uh, youngest son had his first day at nursery, so they, were, they went to. Yeah, they've grown up both in the UK and in Norway. And but my youngest son went to uh, nursery in in Norway, and the first day it was minus nineteen, <laughs> and it was an outdoor nursery, totally outdoors. They meet inside get their kit on and then they're out the whole day. And yeah, you know, these are, these are healthy kids. Yeah. They've got good kits. Yeah. It's not, they're not out exposed. Yeah. They're, they're in, uh, in really nice warm stuff, but yeah, they're still out exposing themselves to the cold out in exposing themselves to nature the whole day. And, you know, at the end of the day, he was warm and smiley. It was just, yeah, that first day, minus 60, it was so cold. <laughs> that, um, my wife, before we went to Norway, read a book, a Scandinavian book called There's No Such Thing as, I think it was called There's No Such Thing as Bad Weather. And it talked all about the, pri the prams in Norway and how outside nurseries, kids would be bundled up inside this sort of um, bed. It's a, a pram. It's like a stroller bed. And they'd be outside, right outside the windows of the place and getting fresh air and a little bit of cold exposure. And she's like, oh, man, I heard a story of like getting someone in the U.S. doing that and getting in trouble. But when we were going through the streets of Norway, we saw that everywhere, like kids outside getting cold, getting exposed to the elements and... They looked like a strong people from from what I saw. So there's there's definitely some stuff to it. So I'm really excited to follow along and and support you and and um and and what you've got coming on. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been uh, been great fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of the James Quandall Show. The show notes for this episode and other goodies can be found at quandall.com. Are you enjoying the show? If you are, please subscribe and leave a review. I may end up reading your review live on the next episode. Subscribing, leaving a review, and telling your friends about the show is the best way to support me and help the show grow. See you next time. Yeah.